You have put me in my lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Morning, sleep in service. Good to see you guys. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors. Before we talk about low and continue in our series, let's talk about a couple of the highs because we had a pretty amazing weekend last weekend. As a church, we challenged you at 416 every afternoon to be praying for Cornwall Church. Uh, the reason we were praying for Cornwall is because we love Pastor Bob and any church in Whatcom County that names Jesus as Savior and teaches the Bible is true, that, that they're family. And so we want to be able to love and support them. I talked with Bob yesterday afternoon. And uh, here was his report. He said, we had record attendance at Cornwall on Easter weekend, and we had between 50 and 60 first-time decisions for Jesus. So you guys prayed, and God answered prayer, and I think we should thank him for that. I was able to give him our report, which is uh, in our network, we had about 6,600 people show up, which was fantastic. Um, I was doing a historical piece and included all of the Christ the Kings in Whatcom County, and over 9,000 people showed up last weekend. But the number that means the most to me was what happened right here in Bellingham at the end of each service when we had over 120 adults give their hearts to Christ last weekend, for which we are unbelievably grateful. And just because Easter's over doesn't mean we need to stop. So if you want to let your alarm continue to ring at 416 and pray for Cornwall, that would be absolutely fantastic. Let's dive in together. I cut my teeth in ministry taking missions trips, taking high school kids into Mexico for a week, and then we would spend a week in Los Angeles down on Skid Row and on the east side, which is a scary place to be, especially when you're accompanied by a group of high school students from Everson Nooksack who have the combined street smarts of a possum, right? And that's just scary. Um, <laughs> And it was in the east side of L.A. in a, a neighborhood called Wyvernwood where I met a young man by the name of Razor. I knew his name was Razor because he had his name tattooed on his neck, on his forehead. He had the words career criminal tattooed permanently. I met Razor there, and Razor came because he was bringing his little brother to our little five-day club, and as, as the students were out there uh, playing games and doing crafts and talking about Jesus, I was sitting on a step with Razor and his, and his crew. When Razor told me and introduced me, uh, himself to me as a, as a bad man, I believed him. I just believed him. And as we sat on the front step, he told me stories about being in jail and, and, and how he knew it was only a matter of time until he was going to end up right back there because, after all, he was a career criminal. And on our last day there in Wyvernwood, I, prom I was prompted by God to share a bit of a story, a piece of the Easter story with Razor. It often gets overlooked in the drama of the crucifixion, but it speaks to the heart of God's grace, and it also speaks to everyone in the room that's got a long rap sheet. Now, before you elevate yourself above my friend Razor, I want to remind you of something. A court rap sheet represents everything you've done wrong that you got caught for by the law. But your record before God is as implicit and as exposed 
as anyone's court rap sheet because your record before God includes everything that you've done, everything that you've not done that you should have done, everything you thought, everything you got away with, everything you got caught in, your secrets, your sins of omission, your sins of commission, everything that is seen and unseen, and everything else under the sun because God knows all. And so now that we're all on the same level and low in our opinion of ourselves and not putting razor in a different category, Let's get back to our statement for this series. Life's lowest moments bring with them the opportunity to see Jesus as the source of all hope. So I opened my Bible and I read this to Razor about the crucifixion of Jesus. Let's pay attention to the details. The Bible says this in Matthew 27. Two rebels were crucified with him. Some of your Bibles call them criminals. Some of your Bibles call them thieves. Let's just say they, that, that they were criminals. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Jesus had made that prediction that he was going to rebuild the temple. They thought physical building, he was talking about something else. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders, they mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Verse 44, pay specific attention to this. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So both of these criminals are heaping insults on Jesus. And Razor's response to that story was, so what? So they're talking smack about another guy that's hanging in between them. What's the big deal? Guys talk smack in prison all of the time. It's expected. My response to him is, I know. But there's something more to this story. Because somewhere along the line, there was a moment of clarity for one of them. Something changed, something shifted. Jesus did something, Jesus said something. There was a shift in the mind and the heart of one of the criminals. You know, we don't know much about either one of them. Traditionally, like I said, they've been called thieves. My version of scripture calls them rebels. We don't know if they spent a lifetime coming to this particular point or if they were one of those people that made one bad decision in one instant and ended up paying the ultimate price. We don't know much more about them other than they got caught and now they're dying. And somewhere in that pain, according to scripture, they're both heaping insults, but then something shifts because one of them in a moment of clarity turns toward Jesus while the other one continues to turn away. Here's what the Bible says in Luke 23 in a parallel passage. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's have a real honest moment for a second. For some of us, we like the story, but it bugs us. It bugs us because it's like, why is God opening the door to a career criminal at the last second? 
How can he let somebody just kind of slip in right underneath of the finish line? I mean, this guy lived his whole life and he lived it and he lived it wrong. Why does he get to go into the same heaven as all of the good people, the, the good people like me? Really, you know, that's not fair. And I would say, exactly, that's grace. That's grace. You know, the Bible speaks to all the good people in Scripture a lot. If you had that reaction, I can't understand why Jesus is letting people in, bad people, into the same heaven that I get to go into because I'm a good person. I would refer you to the story of the prodigal son. Kid goes off and burns his inheritance, then comes to his senses and comes home. And the dad runs out in grace and welcomes him back and reinstates him into the family. And there's a character in that particular story, an older brother who stands back with his arms crossed thinking, why in the world is my dad throwing a party for that guy? He blew it. He needs to go to into a different category. I would encourage you to go to that moment because apparently God has a heart for people, anyone who comes to their senses. And experiences grace. The Bible also talks to people who would read that particular story and go, yeah, that's perfect. I'm going to play the career criminal my whole life. And then at the very last second, I'm going to slide under the line with some insurance policy salvation. To you, I would say, there's a problem. How do you know when the end will come? Amen. Just ask him. You know, we could follow a thousand rabbit trails here, but I want to stay true to where we're headed. So this is a low moment. We can all relate to this guy hanging on the cross, right? You made a bad decision. You got caught. You're guilty. You're dying. And then you come face to face with God. And in the low, he meets you there. He meets you there. All along, we've been saying this phrase, when you're low, go lower. When you're low, go lower. And as we've been developing the series, people have been asking me a really logical question. How? Tell me how, when I'm low, to go lower. So let's answer the question. When I'm low, how do I go lower? Let's learn from this guy's low moment. I would encourage you to do this. If you want to go lower, fully embrace your moment of clarity. So I put it in the first person. I fully embrace my moment of clarity. If you're going to go lower, I have to get honest with myself. I've got to refuse to live in denial. I've got to own what I did wrong, and I have to choose not to play the victim. Earlier in the series, we talked about those who've been victimized by somebody else's evil. That's not who we're talking about today. Today, we're talking about all of the people in the room, including myself, who did something. You got yourself there. You made your own decisions, and now you've got to choose whether or not you're going to own it. Listen to the criminal's words. We are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. And I think some of the most difficult words for a human being to say is, I did this to myself. You know why that's so hard to say? Because it's just so much easier to blame somebody else, isn't it? We blame our parents. We blame our boss. We blame the meteorologist. We blame the politician. We blame God, right? And the only person missing from our list is us. You know, this may be the only moment in this guy's life when he owned it, but I love the fact he had the courage to own his own brokenness. And that's scary for us, right? Because we think if we actually wrap ourselves around our own brokenness, that somehow God's going to think we're in a different category and he's going to push us away. Can I encourage you with the words of Psalm 51, written by a guy who was a peeping Tom, committed conspiracy to commit murder, um, and slept with another man's wife? These are the words of David. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. 
So if you're low, go lower. Embrace your brokenness. Own it. And bring it to God because the only, he's the only one who can redeem, renew, restore, and transform. So we bring it to him. It's not like it's a surprise to him anyway, right? Because he knows everybody's rap sheet. Let's keep going. Secondly, if I'm going to go lower, I take a low view of myself and a high view of God. But we get this one upside down all of the time. We take a high view of ourselves because after all, we are us, right? And somehow God owes us something. And when we have that mentality, God becomes our most convenient scapegoat. I hear that all the time. God's my scapegoat. I want to remind you of something. The word scapegoat actually comes from Old Testament. Do you know what a scapegoat was? So a scapegoat was an actual goat. And a priest would come and pray the sins of a nation over top of that goat. In fact, if you read the description, it's almost eerie. Because the Bible describes how they would take a scarlet cord and wrap it around the horns of the goat And it reminds you of what might happen to someone's head if a crown of thorns was placed over top of it and ribbons of blood began to drip down their face. And you start seeing the parallels between this scapegoat, this animal that that all of the sins of a nation were put on, and then it was chased out into the wilderness, and people would pray that it never came back again. And we get this picture of Jesus with a crown of thorns, taking the sins of the world, becoming our scapegoat, literally, and then walking out into the wilderness to bury our sins as far as the east is from the west. Wow. Even though Jesus did nothing to take that record, he made the decision to absorb all of our rap sheets. We need to take a low view of ourselves and a high view of God. We need to see ourselves as we really are, sinners in need of a Savior. Here's the beautiful thing about Scripture. You don't just stay in the category of sinner, sinner, sinner. In fact, God says once Jesus steps in, you get transformed into a different category. And I have no idea why, but the Bible actually calls us saints. We're all working on it together, aren't we? I love this criminal. He's willing to admit, I got myself here, and then he makes a declaration. This man's done nothing wrong. God is God, and I am not. God is forgiveness, and I need that forgiveness. If you grew up in church, you used to sing it all the time. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it what? White as snow. High view of God, low view of me. When I know that in the deepest part of my being, I assume a humble posture. All throughout the story of the crucifixion, there are people taking, t- taking a, 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 an unhumble posture. Let me describe it to you in Matthew 27. It says, they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews. That's what arrogance does. Arrogance taunts God. Arrogance says, I'm in charge and you are not. Arrogance says, you are not the boss of me. Arrogance will take a knee, but it only takes a knee in contempt. Arrogance says this, I can do what I want. That's arrogance. People give me a hard time because I always say, that's my favorite scripture. That's my favorite story. They're all my favorite scriptures. (laughs) They're all my favorite stories. 
Jesus tells a beautiful story of this, this Pharisee, this really religious guy who stands on a street corner and, and prays with big flowery terms about how amazing he is. And, how, and he lectures God on this, this beautiful resume that he has. And then it's contrasted with another broken man who stands on another street corner. And all he can get out of his mouth is this humble prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus looks at both of them and says, be the second guy. Be the humble guy. You know, it's really arrogance versus humility, right? We keep coming back to this first Peter verse. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now, let's be honest. Because of the geography and what's happening here, the criminal can't kneel in humility. But he goes low. He humbles himself, and he asks for help. I love that beautiful three-word prayer. Jesus, remember me. Remember me. Amen. Don't forget me. When I'm low, I go lower. Let's keep going. I go lower when I lower the volume in quotes of my words. So I lower both the loudness in which I'm speaking and the number of words coming out of my mouth because whenever you are in a low moment, you need to let God talk. You need to let Him do the speaking. I don't know about you guys, but my consequences speak loudly enough all on their own. And then you add the accusation of Satan himself coming along saying, you are just sick and twisted and wrong and broken. How in the world could God ever love a career criminal like you? Because I've seen your rap sheet. I understand just how bad you are. In those moments, everything is just so unbelievably loud. I've got to make a decision in my soul. I have to choose quiet. Because if I keep talking, I'm just going to get in more trouble. Anybody else understand that, right? Amen. When I open my mouth, here's what, I mean, empty promises, lies, damaging words, I should probably go a different direction, right? What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Listen to what scripture says to all of us today. Ecclesiastes 5, do not be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, you're on earth, here it comes. So let your words be few. Listen to Job. The Bible says Job didn't do anything wrong, suffered immensely, but didn't do anything wrong. And listen to Job's plea to God, teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I've gone astray. Even though he had done nothing wrong, Job was still open saying, God, if there's anything I've missed, take me back to that moment. Lead me back to the root of my own brokenness. Take me back to the fork in the road when I should have gone right and I actually decided to go left. Take me back to the moment of clarity. God, teach me the lesson. I love that humility. Listen to this one. Habakkuk chapter 2. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. If you read the story, one of the criminals is running at the mouth. He just doesn't stop talking. But the other one allows his words to be few. What's the prayer? Jesus, remember me. Remember me. Few words, but changing an entire eternity. Let's keep going when I'm low. I go lower as I wait for the beautiful exchange. In week number one of the series, we introduced ourselves to David caught in a low moment. 
low, unbelievably broken moment, and yet he's waiting with expectancy because he expects God's actually going to make an exchange with him. In his words, it's his ashes for the beauty of God's deliverance. Listen to David talk. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I'm silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. Verse 11, you turned my wailing. Some of your translations say mourning. You're grieving. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth, which was the uniform of grief, and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. David says, I'm going to let my words be few until I get this divine exchange that's going on, and then you will not be able to shut me up. I will shout, I will sing, I will praise because of this beautiful exchange that I didn't initiate, God did. I love this story, saying I'm going lower in every way because there's a new story waiting on the other side of all of my brokenness. And Jesus isn't done. He's still working until the very last breath. He's saying, I am low, but God is with me in the low. And if you ever need proof of that, just look to the criminal on the cross. Just go there. You know, it's tough for some of us because we're just like, I am not a criminal and I am offended at the fact that the pastor called me that. (laughs) If it makes you feel better, you put my name under that category. So we're going to wrap this up with this thought. We're going to answer a question. How does Jesus treat humble career criminals? I'll answer that the same way he treats broken pastors. In the same way he treats humble relational train wrecks. In the same way he treats anyone who's willing when they're low to go lower. How does Jesus treat the addicted, whether you're addicted to porn or drugs, whether you're addicted to religion and self-righteousness? Hmm. How does Jesus treat humble career criminals? He treats them with a promise today. Today, right here, right now, based on your humility and God's grace, today you will be with me in paradise. Hmm. All throughout this series, we've been looking at these low moments. Some of you are looking at this moment going, that, that doesn't appear to be very low for you. Where was the low moment? Was it in the fact that Razor didn't fall on his knees right then and be completely transformed in Jesus' name and become a famous evangelist that we watch on television every week? Didn't happen. Was the low moment in Razor's little six-year-old brother flashing a gang sign saying goodbye to us as we drove out of the neighborhood? That was pretty low. Was the low moment in feeling like I should have done more, I should have done it earlier, I should should have had more courage? Somewhat. Honestly, the low moment for me was in the realization that at some points of my life, I elevated myself into a different category when the truth is this. I am a sinful man. But as epic as my sin may be, I have a more epic Savior. And because I have an epic Savior, 
I have a dream and a promise that one day God is going to welcome me into his kingdom and say, well done, good and faithful servant. So what are the takeaways today? I mean, one of them is pretty clear, right? It's never too late. According to this story, it's never too late. You can turn today, take your low, go even lower, and Jesus says he'll meet you there. Maybe one of the takeaways is is to realize that, that none of us get to take a higher position at the foot of the cross. We are all equally in need of God's amazing grace. I'll let you take away whatever you need to take. I wish I could tell you what happened to Razor. I have no idea. I lost track of him. I don't know if he's in jail. I don't know if he's dead or alive. I don't know if he's a pastor somewhere. (laughs) But I do know this. I know how Jesus responds to career criminals. And that gives me hope for all of us. Amen? Amen? If you haven't figured this out yet, Christ the King is a very high challenge environment. Every single week, we're going to challenge you to take a spiritual next step. And in a few moments, we're actually going to wrap up early here because I want to give you an opportunity to go across the hallway. Across the hallway is the meeting place. It used to be our worship center before we outgrew it. And we're going to ask you to go that direction if you want to take a spiritual next step. And some of you are thinking, I'm not sure what the step would be. Well, I'll tell you this. If you're just beginning your journey with Jesus or you're skeptical, or you have unbelievably hard questions, just like Pastor Todd said before, I want to encourage you to think about going Alpha. Alpha is the safest environment we have for people to ask questions. In fact, we love skeptics. We love people with hard questions that test Christianity and push up against the edges of it. That that, that is a good thing in this family. So if you're thinking, you know, dinner, video, discussion... Nobody's going to jump down my throat. I actually have an opportunity to ask questions like, why does God allow suffering? Why doesn't he just make it stop? Alf is your spot. We'll cook you a great meal. We'll take care of your kids. We'll do, we'll do the whole thing for you. you. It starts Monday night. Don't miss. Some of you are thinking about taking the next step. You got saved last weekend or in the weeks before, and now you're going public, and you want to be baptized. Next week, we're going to fill that tank. We're going to have an amazing, we're going to throw a resurrection party at Christ the King Community Church. And if you want to take that next step of faith, you're going to go to the same room. Pastor Kevin Burley is going to be standing at the front. He's going to say, come on in, come on in, come on in. If you want to get into, if you want to get into Alpha, you're going to go see Rick and Ann. Uh, Rick and Ann Campbell are going to look after you. If you want to get baptized, you're going to go Pastor Brian Steele and we're going to do a short uh, baptism class so you know exactly what it is that you're doing. So baptism is for anyone with a newfound faith in Jesus or... It's for any veteran in the room who's been completely disobedient and that's still on your rap sheet. Was that subtle enough? You've been following Jesus for a long time and disobedient when it comes to baptism. Let me be as kind, loving as I possibly can. Get in the tank and do what you're supposed to do. I'm tired, can you tell? Okay, so anyways... No filter, all right? The last one, small groups. Church is a team sport. We're supposed to do this together. Can't do it alone. It's impossible. You're going to go into the same room. Pastor Kevin's going to say, we've got groups all over the place. Come and meet some people. We're going to get you plugged in. So in a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to pray. 
And then I'm going to release you. And if you want to do baptism, small groups, or alpha, you're going to go straight into the meeting place. Nobody's going to do anything weird. Get an opportunity to sign up. And we're going to go from there. And then we got one more piece. Uh, got some packets sitting up here across the front. It's been kind of cool because we keep running out. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it's just awesome. Amen. Last night I gave this moment. College kid, like 22 years old, he was sitting right over there. I didn't even finish. And he got up, walked up here, grabbed one of these. said, thank you very much. I'm like, no, thank you. Amen. This name right here, he saved my life. He can save yours too. I don't care if you're a career criminal or not. Jesus has a heart for people who need grace. Maybe your next spiritual step Instead of going that way with everybody else into the parking lot, is to slip up here inconspicuously, grab a hold of one of these packets, take it home, open up the Bible that's inside of it, open up to where, the, where it's been marked with, 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 with a, a little bookmark, start reading in the book of John. It's a beautiful story of how God likes to treat his friends. Maybe your next spiritual step is just to grab one of these and go, I'm going to check it out. Small groups, alpha, baptism meeting place right after. Checking out Jesus? Come this direction. Grab one. We'll walk with you all the way through the journey. No matter how high or low you go. Church, would you stand with me as we pray? <laughs> Father God, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters on this weekend after Easter. God, would you prompt people right now in the bottom of their soul, God, tug on their heart and say, time to get wet, <laughs> time to get baptized, time to get in a group, not doing alone, time to go to Alpha and, and get some of these hard questions answered, time to slip up to the front, talk about Jesus. Lord, whatever our next step is, would you give us the courage to go there? Lord, let us not be stuck with good intentions. I thank you. For this career criminal who in a moment of clarity took a step and said, remember me. And God, I thank you that you choose not to remember all of our sin, but you choose to remember your beautiful love for us and how today we can cross the line into eternity. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Don't get stuck in good intentions. Straight to the meeting place. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend.